And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. European edition. Today, there's the decisive into Juventus and the countdown to Bayern and the pretty indecisive Kylian Mbappe, who, oh look, says he's going to Real Madrid again. We round it all up. Hail a massive hacken who, ironically, Inter didn't have to cough up for. Ponder top four races across Europe, why Gareth went to Jordan, and the latest El Derby in Madrid, and more in this Totally Football Show. Tuesday, the 6th of February. I'm here listening with you and James Horncastle. All right, James. Hello. Alvaro Romeo is also here. Hola, James. Hola. And Raphael Honigstein, slightly confused Raphael Honigstein. It was a coughing reference. <laughs> what coughing. am I confused about this time? The, 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 the hack and cough. Right, yeah. yes. Mm. Not, a, not a term I'm familiar with. No, no. Where's no. Jules? Where's Julian Laurence? Is he moving with Mbappe to Madrid? <laughs> ah, I don't know. We'll ask him later on. If Mbappe does move to Madrid, there's months yeah. before... You know, that actually becomes a reality. We'll see. Wow. He's actually he's got things, but he will be joining us a little bit later on. He's got things, eh? He's got things. Look at him. Go, uh, Jules. How are your things, Alvaro? Is there a treatment for that? <laughs> 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 My things are very well. I was thinking about Kylian Mbappe. Uh, based on what was reported in Spain two years ago, yes. uh, Kylian Mbappe has already like five or six properties he's going to move to in Madrid. Really? Yeah. What, all of them? Uh, I, I'm being sarcastic here. Oh, by I see. By the way, okay. yeah, yeah. Because uh, there was this uh, headline, no, Kylian Mbappe has already chosen a property to live in. Mm -hmm. uh, that must mean that he's playing for Real Madrid the next season. That Absolutely. was reported in 2022. Right. So get ready to more reporting like this. Yeah, indeed so, indeed so. Hey, let's have some moments of the weekend. Who wants to start? Not Rafa, James. I'm going to start with the skill of the weekend, James, and it will be Hakan Chalonolu's pass. Ooh. Um, in the first half of the Debbie d'Italia, uh, from sort of an inside right position, inside his own half, just a big diagonal, low hit pass uh, to release Di Marco behind the Juventus defence. Uh, Di Marco cut back. And then another great skill, really, because you see Bremer mm. managed to stop Turam from having a tap in. But the pass from Chalonolu, magnificent. There's an angle from behind him where yeah. you really see the Tom Brady-esque qualities of, of that ball in, in what many are hailing as his best ever Inter performance. Yeah, although he's had a few. I mean, he played a similar incredible reverse pass against Atalanta, I think, earlier this season. But like his reinvention as a number six regista has mm. been just one of the great tactical novelties of not just Italian football, but European football over the last few, uh, well, last 18 months. And yeah, he was roundly laughed at for saying that he considers himself to be one of the top five midfield players in the world um, when he said this, I think before the Champions League final. But uh, the way he's playing at the moment, it's hard to dispute, James. Hard to dispute. Maybe it's a bigger topic than we've got time for now. But yes. would you, would you, 
Would you liken his drop back to that regista role in the great Italian tradition of Fellini and Pasolini and Massimo De Sica? <laughs> <laughs> the actual film directors, yeah. yeah. Uh, would you liken that to the day that um, Carlo Manzoni and then later Angelotti went, oh, Pirlo would make a lot of sense further back? Well, it's happened later in his career, and you could say it was probably by accident rather than design because Marcelo Brozovic was out injured for a long time period of last season so Inzaghi had to reinvent um, Chalanolu um, but certainly on the late night shows in Italy on Sunday mm. uh, people were comparing him to uh, Chabi Alonso oh, and yeah. to Seba Veron as well and to be honest that pass is very Veron um, as well but yeah delightful as is that midfield as is that entire inter-team yeah. you know? I keep hyping them up the one man hype man um, but they are a great team, proper team. Proper team. Champions League favourites, some, some people say. <laughs> Avro. I have a moment of the weekend. It's, yes. a, it's a very good one. Mm. It happened on Monday, by the way. Ooh. But uh, it happened at Vallecas. And many weird things happened at Vallecas. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Because Lucas Ocampos can say a couple of things about what oh. happened to him. Right. Uh, but uh, I want to obviously focus on the football and and Nesiri is back after being in the African Cup of Nations to help Sevilla, because Sevilla is enduring a very complicated uh, situation right now, and the season has been very difficult for them. And Nesiri came back uh, from, the, from the Morocco camp, and uh, he scored a couple of goals for Sevilla. They won away, and the, his brace was uh, so important for Sevilla to regain at least uh, a little bit of form and, uh, you know, you can think or you can expect Sevilla being much better with a player like Youssef and Nesiri. A brace for him and a good night for Sevilla. All right, Sevilla moving away from the bottom, unlike the fans' finger with Ocampos. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Do you want to talk about that now? Yeah. No, no, we'll, we'll save that treat <laughs> for later. Rafa! I think Bundesliga 2 provided the moment Ooh. of the week. And it had to do with um, tennis balls, James. Mm. Uh, in the uh, big game between Hertha and Hamburg, two teams that really are desperate to going back up, but Hertha looked like destined to stay down for another season. The game was interrupted for 30 minutes because Hertha fans kept chucking tennis balls onto the pitch mm. in St protest. Staggered, no? They'd throw a few... They threw a few and then a few... They stretched it out. And some had those... Um, had that contraption that people use... Tennis racket? No. Oh. That people use to in throw the parks dog. with the dogs, ah, yeah, to right. get even more range. Great, nice. yeah. So it came well prepared. Came correct. Um, and yeah, it took thirty-two minutes to sort out, and in the end, Hamburg won. Really? The tennis match, massive, or yeah, the football game, which was a massive win because Hamburg in second. Yeah, looked like they might actually do it after all these years. But wow. this is again, this is until next week's meltdown, uh, when they managed to lose somehow uh, at home again. But yeah, that was um, a big game. And uh, oh, we should say the protests were against the uh, Bundesliga's uh, investment plans hmm. oh. that we talked about on this pod. Not triple seven. Uh, not triple seven, although <laughs> maybe some protests are incoming regarding them. They own the minority share in Hertha. But yeah, Raph, interesting stuff. Uh, do Hamburg, they used to have this clock that would count down until, well, not countdown. It was how long they'd been in the Bundesliga. Mm. Do they have one for how long they've been in Bundesliga's? <laughs> no, no. The clock's been retired. It's a shame. Yeah. 
unfortunately. Okay, loads to talk about from the Bundesliga Ein and from La Liga and Serie A and of course from Eins, Jules. Really. Eins. Okay. Uh, and from Jules with his uh, Liga news. Woof. That'll be later on. But we're going to begin at San Siro, Sunday night. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Al centro capista in Italy, in rigore. Prova la sfolvita da volante. Rete ha segnato l'Inter. Esattamente al minuto 36. Nel corso del primo tempo. Cambia il parziale a San Siro. Sunday night at San Siro. Spectacular pre-game choreography from the choreography from the Inter Ultras. Medusa's head with the snakes are writhing. Yeah. Not the only strangely coiffed figure in the stands at San Siro. <laughs> there was also James Horncastle. <laughs> yep, that was right, James. It's a great atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, San Siro over the last year has been a magnificent place to visit. You know, you think of the Champions League semi-finals, which were Derby della Madonnina. Um, and this one, it kind of took you by surprise walking to the stadium because it had been billed as this title decider, even though there were still 15 or, in Inter's case, 16 games to go. But two hours before kickoff, you really got the kind of scale of, of, of how important this was. There were clashes outside the ground, mm. like even just getting to the eighth gate where the journalists go in. It was very difficult at first because they kind of closed off a bit for crowd control reasons. But yeah, sort of two hours beforehand, there were fans, particularly the away fans for Juventus, already in the stands. And you could hear from like, I'd say like a kilometre away, chants, not just from fans walking to the game, but from within San Siro. So it was a great atmosphere. Um, and also like this laser show that they had before the Medusa, James, was pretty uh, pretty spectacular. The Medusa thing from side on, you couldn't really make out mm. what Look it good was. Good on the telly though. It apparently looked amazing on mm. the telly and like um there was some like AI generated photo which they had based the Medusa on. Okay. The the inter cuz inter spirit animal is the basilisk, isn't it? Mm. The uh, snake, the snake. Mm. Um so that's why they kind of went for and there was again there was a pre-choreography an aperitivo choreography mm. if you like which was all of the kind of alleged crimes Juventus have committed over the years um, which, do you need alleged on those? Do you? <laughs> well some of them I looked at and thought ah, I'm oh, not, okay. not how long did that choreography <laughs> Well, I'd say on. there was there were maybe ten different banners, <laughs> so it was um, it was pretty spectacular, and um, and yeah, I, I think even the game lived okay. up to it, or Inter's performance certainly lived up to it. Well, it was the big decider, who is Sinner and who is Djokovic. Yeah. Uh, so Inter are the and Carlos Carlos, Carlos Alcaraz, Alcaraz came on <laughs> yeah, in this game. Uh, Juventus's new loan signing from Southampton. But yeah. Decided by an own goal by the unfortunate Gatti again. Yes. Yes. But uh, Chesney was immense. Inter completely dominated the game. I'd say so. I mean, after 20 minutes, they had 80% of the ball. Um, and you did wonder, is this part of Juventus's calculus? Are they just... Are they thinking, right, let's come away from here with just a point. We've only got three games for the rest of February and they're against Udinese, Frosinone, another team down the bottom, maybe Verona. Whereas Inter have to play five times. Uh, they play Roma next, revived under Daniele Rossi, 4-0 winners on Monday night. They've also got their game in hand against At Atalanta and Atalanta are playing really well at the moment. And then they've got the Champions League game against Atletico. 
uh, as well as Simone's got to face his brother, Pippo oh. Salernitano, which mm. yeah should be an easy win, but because it's before the Champions League game, does he rotate? If he rotates, does that put them at risk of, of dropping points? So you thought Juventus might have been thinking about, okay, let's just come away with here, point intact, and then just attack the three games that we've got in February and let Inter slip up. And it's, I think Inter were more determined because they recognised that calculus and were like, we have to win this game. And they really put on, a, particularly in the second half, after their goal, when Juventus had to kind of, were forced to come out, Inter played some, some magnificent football. They should have been 3-0 winners, really. Anyone else you want to cite alongside Chalinoglu, Pavard, or, for example? Or Pavard. Pavard was fantastic. Mm. A lot of Inter fans very excited by him because he's had a, a good week, really. Um, they won in Florence against Fiorentina, which was seen as a tricky game because they'd been playing in Saudi Arabia, the Super Cup, which expanded format, two games, a lot of expectation that Inter would be tired going into this difficult away game against a good Fiorentina side. They won it late, thanks to a goal from Lautaro, who's pretty anonymous in the actual Derby d'Italia, but Pavar saved the win against Fiorentina with a goal line clearance. And then he is ultimately fundamental to the breakthrough goal in the Derby d'Italia because he's a centre-back who ends up in the wrong penalty area, uh, building up a, a, an inter-attack. It's his attempted bicycle kick which causes the kind of confusion that leads to Gatti's own goal and so Inter just very fluid lots of really interesting positional changes you know Di Marco playing as a left wing back but popping up on the right hand side or popping up in midfield the center backs really far forward often as as wingers with kind of two midfield players there to stop counter-attacks and that was what Inzaghi was very pleased with after the game he was like Juventus had one counter-attack all game. Um, unfortunately, it fell to Vlajevic, who'd been in such great form, but really fluffed his touch. Uh, but Pavar was magnificent. And as you mentioned, James, Chesney I mean, mm. really kept uh, Juventus in the game with two massive saves um, from Barella and Marco Arnautovic. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Quite the that was Chesney more than Arna, Arnautovic. What, what yeah. a huge chance that was! Uh, six wins out of six for Inter since the turn of the year. They are now four points clear of Juve with a game in hand. Uh, Chalanoglu, who they picked up on a free, mm-hmm. uh, they've been doing that again this week, haven't they? With Beppe Marotta doing Beppe Marotta things. Yeah, I mean that's. Or, oh, is that not confirmed yet? Zelinski thing. It is because um, Napoli, the the champions, they've just decided that the coach, he shouldn't be doing pre-game pest conferences anymore um, because uh, they think he gives too much away tactically, which yeah, anyone who's seen Mazzari's teams play, I mean, there's not much to learn, really. Um, but De Laurentiis has just been doing press conferences. And so, yeah, he came out and said, yeah, Zielinski's not on the list in our Champions League squad, which for me is remarkable, really. You know, he's got four months. He's a professional he'd be a difference maker against a team like Barcelona. Not in the Champions League squad. And he was asked why. And he was like, well, because he's not going to be at the club um, next, next season. And Vindictive. Inter, you know, sort of very, as they are, like, sort of, no, we've got nothing to do with this. We'll let Zielinski take his decision and all that sort of thing. But it's very clear that Zielinski will be playing for Inter, I would say, um, next, next season. But... Where does he get into this this fantastic yeah. midfield? Because it's, I mean, they've signed one of the best young Italian midfield players, Davide Fratesi. Fratesi barely gets a look in. Barely gets a look in. When he does, he does score, but barely gets a look in. 
so yeah, into very much operating on 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 freeze as they've had to because of the straitened circumstances in which their owner finds himself. Um, but I mean, that was another big talking point because. Juventus have tried to make themselves out all season as this little plucky underdog who's only interested in qualifying for the Champions League. And if that means they finish fourth, they finish fourth. Everything else is a bonus. And that's really kind of got under into skin. It's like you're in a title race. Don't try and make this out to be something that that it's not. Don't try to make yourself out to be this little poor Juventus. Mm. When Juventus they're prickly inter, aren't they? Prickly. Mm. And (laughs) that's what Allegri said. And there was a table that transfer marked put out after this game which showed I think of the, the the cumulative value of the squads and the events in terms of the transfer fees paid and the events were by far the top and the events and Inter were like maybe fifth sixth where were Roma in there just be behind Inter oh really because okay. Roma have had to do free transfers and loans mm. over the last few years but um so again that was something that Interisti were Sort mm. of gloating about, All right. and rightly so. Mm. Well, as you mentioned, big period coming up for the Nerazzurri, featuring Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. Atletico Madrid, Alvaro, who had a huge game themselves this weekend, the derby, the third Madrid derby in, what, three weeks, is it? Uh, yeah, three, four weeks. Yeah, yeah, the Super Cup, which they lost, mm. the Copa del Rey, which they won, and this one? Which they drew. Mm. Memphis, Llorente remata gol. Gol, 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 gol. De Marcos Llorente. Indecisión de la defensa del Madrid. Y Marcos Llorente que viene desde el cielo saltando la dos de cabeza. You know, sometimes when a team scores a, a goal in the aggregate just to snatch two points from their biggest rival, the feeling they get is this is like a victory. But in reality, we check the big picture. Uh, this is not, uh, by any means, um, a positive result for Atletico de Madrid. It's just all right. But uh, Atletico are virtually out of the, the title race. Had they beaten Real Madrid, they would be six points away. And I think that they would have had a shot at the title. But uh, right now, being 10 points away from Real Madrid, you can really say that uh, they won't be fighting for La Liga title. But uh, and, and on top of that, I think that they could have won this game because Real Madrid didn't have any healthy or fit uh, centre-back for this game, apart from Nacho. Uh, Carvajal had to play as a, as a centre-back and Carvajal, it's 173 uh, in metres, which is basically as tall as I am. I mean, and he was uh, playing there uh, against the likes of uh, Alvaro Morata, for example. And uh, Atletico should have capitalised uh, on that uh, way more. And I think that the aerial power that Atletico had inflicted um, not only one goal to, to Real Madrid, the goal by Marcos Llorente um, in the extra time of the second half, but Atletico had a goal disallowed after a corner kick and uh, they had a really couple of good chances, uh, all of them uh, via the aerial game in the first half. I think that uh, it was a good game. Mm, there was a player who was... Uh, I think that miles ahead of everyone else, Brian Diaz, mm. uh, who was never going to start this game because Vinicius was in the lineup, but he felt uh, a muscular uh, issue around uh, his neck area and he couldn't play the game. 
And then Brahim uh, was on running the show sometimes, not only because he had a contribution in the score sheet, but also because he did, uh, in my opinion, the most spectacular action of the game, just uh, nutmegging Hermoso and then leaving Witzel behind with a really nice feint. He should have scored, he didn't, but he's a little magician. And uh, I think that uh, his performance was good enough for Luis de la Fuente, the Spanish manager, to consider calling him in March, because I think that uh, Brian Diaz um, is a player who is very, very, very uh, desirable for Morocco as well. He can play for both Morocco and Spain, mm. and it would be obviously a great asset for Spain if he can, if he can play the Euro for, for us. Okay. Wow. Two. No, I'm just, uh, it's, you know, I often have a AC Milan hat on. Mm. Um, and uh, for Chalinolu to play as well as he... Is that your favourite hat? No, I just like, you know, I, I have to f- think and focus mm. about AC Milan a lot. So mm. I do have to think and focus about Juventus and Inter a lot. But like, uh, it's very interesting to have Brahim, who is let go uh, by uh, Milan, uh, having played as a number 10 there. And then Chalinolu, again, mm. player who's been let go, reinvented and has been doing very well. Um, to see them both go off and f- thrive at other big clubs really um, you know it's perhaps was, doesn't necessarily reflect well on the work of um, Stefano Pioli right moment. was Real not always his parent the, club the, the, the yeah things. I can't remember whether Milan had an option or not right. but um, there's always room for yeah the little man but Madrid was always monitoring Brahim okay. I mean they they sank him from Manchester City uh, they knew that he had the potential Zinedine Zidane used him a little bit and then uh, the loan to Milan uh, paid a lot of dividends it was a very clever loan because number one Real Madrid and Milan I don't think they have faced each other in the Champions League for a while so Brahim didn't have to play against Real Madrid and secondly because Brahim became the player he is now I think that he is now even better than when he started playing for Real Madrid. He feels more confident at the beginning of the season. He didn't play a lot, but we have spoken about the fringe, player of, uh, fringe players of Real Madrid, those ones who have stepped up. And Brahim is one of them. Uh, Brahim right now is almost a candidate to, to start every game. I think that uh, Ancelotti will at least think about it and he will definitely put Brahim on the pitch in the second half of any important game. But what about Joselu? Real Madrid is where they are now because in midweek, when Real Madrid had a game in hand, Joselu scored the brace against Getafe. Mm. That game against Getafe also featured a pretty feisty moment between uh, Jude Bellingham and Mason Greenwood with uh, words said. Uh, which have drawn a lot of interest on... on From lip readers. Lip readers, um, you know, really invoicing. With that victory and the point on Sunday, Real are two points clear of Girona at the top of the table, who only drew nil-nil with Real Sociedad on Saturday. It was quite a lot of controversy here as well with that uh, Girona goal that was ruled out. Girona got a, um, got a goal, but uh, the goal was cancelled. Angel Herrera scored with a, with a header, but 36 seconds before the goal happened, all in the first half, uh, there had been an offside that the referee didn't call. Then Girona kept on attacking. They tried to attack three times. Rasocea didn't regain the possession. They just cleared the ball. And at the end, Girona scored the goal. Mm. But uh, as I said before, the goal was cancelled and Girona is fuming about it. The reason, of course, that this has been getting so much play, so much traction, is because of what's going to happen next Saturday evening. Yeah, because Madrid and Girona played. But in all fairness, I have to say that, for example, I believe that in uh, Derby de Madrid, Mm. uh, there was a penalty on Jude Bellingham that the referee didn't call. Okay. So that's why I'm saying that I think that the performance of the referee 
against Almería at Bernabéu was very poor. Mm. It was very poor. But all the points that Real Madrid have this season, I think they have earned them. I okay. mean, they are not the leaders of La Liga just because the referees are helping them. Another story is uh, what, as I said before, or as I said in previous shows, what the pressure that Real Madrid in their previews of the games put on referees. Right. But I think that all the points that Real Madrid has are more or less fair. Okay, huge game though next Saturday. Yeah. As the top two go up against it. And this, in the last few days, we're learning that Man City have signed one of the standout players for Girona. This, yeah, the negotiations must have been tough for, for that deal. <laughs> yeah, overall. really difficult. I mean, probably they're going to speak to each other to start with. Um, no, but uh, Manchester City are getting a good player. Yeah. A, a player that uh, belonged to Troyes in France, mm. but never actually uh, made an impact. I yeah. don't think that he a played. club also owned. By Man City. <laughs> yeah, as you can see, there, there is an, an entanglement in there. But uh, I think that Manchester City are getting a good player for themselves. Okay. Of course, he, in terms of his um, dribbling skills, you could compare him to Jeremy Doku, the Belgian footballer. I think that uh, Sabino is a player who never never dims down if he plays against a good team. He's always shining. He's always playing the games with the authority of a footballer who has the confidence to make a difference. And, uh, you, you know, I think that it's a great signing, but uh, right now he has to focus on Girona because I do believe that there is a genuine title race in La Liga. Mm. If Girona gets a result at Santiago Bernabéu, mm. uh, the title race is going to go on. Um, the next game is going to be crucial uh, for La Liga's future and La Liga's title race. OK, just two points between them. Uh, later on, we'll be talking perhaps about the team who are close behind Atleti, and that's your Athletic Club de Bilbao, another big win at yeah. the weekend. But next up, let's hear about the Bundesliga, Rafa. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Big games next weekend in the Bundesliga. It's only Bayer Leverkusen, Bayern Munich, Saturday tea time at the Bayer Arena. Rafa, how are the two teams looking as they head into that big game? Yeah, Leverkusen probably still looking better. Mm-hmm. They made very light work of uh, Darmstadt. Darmstadt are the worst team in the league and Leverkusen even rested one of their key players in Jeremy Frimpong, but they brought on Nathan, T- Nathan Teller mm. and Nathan Teller scored two amazing goals in his starting debut and that was enough for three points that they had always... I think as part of the the plan, if you will, mm. um, because they've been so so consistent, it wasn't a surprise that Darmstadt couldn't really hurt them. Formerly of Southampton, Nathan Teller has he been injured till now? Why is he not featured in the starting lineup? Until Tell us more. February. Uh, <laughs> no, it's because the uh, the fullback, sorry, the wingback system that Leverkusen play has been based on the back of the fantastic performances of. 
Jeremy Frimpong and Alex Grimaldo. And there just hasn't been that much space for him. Okay. A 2 0 win for them at Darmstadt. Bayern Munich, meanwhile, hosting Borussia Mönchengladbach and running out 3 1 winners. Did Harry Kane score? Yes, he did. That's now 24 goals, which is a record for a debut season, is it? Yes, it is. What's the record, Rafa? Lewandowski, 40 goals. Did he score? 41. 41. 41. Mm. So not long to go to break that record. James. It was a sort of comical goal you see at Sunday League football or when big Premier League teams <laughs> are involved. Um, goalkeeper dropped dropped the ball and Kane just had to head it in. Yeah. It was a very, very simple finish for him. Uh, but two assists from Thomas Müller, mm. who was back in the starting lineup. Uh, a rare outing for him. And it was his 500th win. Wow. 500 wins? For Bayern. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a lot. It That's is a lot. lot of wins. But he said he would have liked to have more. Uh, more he would have liked to clubs. have more games as well. <laughs> in their histories. Because ah. he hasn't been starting a lot yeah. under Tuchel. And he only really <laughs> was given a chance because Jamal Musiala was needed out on the left mm. with only Sané available as the, the main wing. Although Brian Saragossa has come in. Is he the real Real? No. Okay. Yeah. Well, sorry, Gotha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right. Terrible joke. Yeah. <laughs> probably probably Brian Zaragoza is going to get more wins than Zaragoza themselves. Okay. Uh, I'm telling, yeah, I'm yeah. telling you. He's been brought in to be the Messiahs, of course, <laughs> on the left wing. No, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Heading out in the meantime is Alfonso <laughs> Davis, who's picked up a, an injury. How serious is that? It could have been worse. It's only a sprain on a ligament rather than a tear. And I think within a month or so, he'll be back. But it's not looking good for the last two games. Misses the big game on Saturday before that match at the Bayer Arena. Bayer Leverkusen will be facing a Pokal quarterfinal against Stuttgart, who continue to be one of the revelations of this season, bucking their recent campaigns. Even without Jurassi, they're still flying there in third. Yeah, they had a great win uh, away to Freiburg in the, in the derby, Baden-Württemberg derby. Freiburg not quite as good this season but still not a straightforward occasion but Stuttgart scored very early and Führich and Undaf scoring again mm. Undaf has already been told he'll be called up by Germany for the next games in March a okay. real chance for him to yeah, make himself part of this Germany team for the Euros because we are very light on, on centre forwards especially on centre forwards who score goals Yeah, so 13 in 17 for him yeah yeah he's been in, in great form but that quarter-final on Tuesday mm. feels a little bit like the final, James, mm-hmm. because A, it's first against third, mm. so it is big in its own right. But also, the teams left in the competition, with the exception of Borussia Mönchengladbach, who are mid-table this year, are all Bundesliga 2 sides. So Ooh. whoever wins this game on Tuesday night going to be huge favourites to, to go all the way. Crikey. Quick word on the race for fourth place. Stuttgart currently three points clear of Dortmund who are now only one point clear of RB Leipzig after Leipzig got back into form with their victory over Union Berlin on Sunday. Dortmund, meantime, drawing a blank in their clash with Heidenheim with Jaden Sancho on the bench because he's not got that much fitness left in, uh, yeah. in him yet. Yeah, they made a few changes, Sancho being rested and the players who came in, like likes of Thomas Meunier and um, Yusufa Mukuku, criticised by... 
Edin Terzic said, today we gave an opportunity to one or two of the boys who don't get that much game time and it was just not good enough from them. Oh. And Dortmund were poor. Um, I think the absence of Royce and Brandt really hurt them. They played with two strikers and it was all very static and yeah, predictable. And Heidenheim defended well and maybe could have, could have even won the game. So after those three, three wins in a row, the positive momentum that Dortmund have, had been building up has, has come to a halt. And the opposite for Leipzig because they had those three defeats, uh, heavy defeats and real pressure beginning to build on Marco Rosa. But yeah, that win against uh, Union puts them in a good position ahead, of course. And this is a game we haven't talked about much. Mm. A visit from Real Madrid next Ooh. week. Good Lord, that's next week already, isn't it? It is next week. Mm. Wow. We'll be previewing that in a special early Euro show. Should be with you Monday next week. Next up, let's have a quick word about Eredivisie before we touch on other matters. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Big game in the Eredivisie last weekend, Ajax hosting PSV at the Johan Cruyff Arena. It finished 1-1. Steven Berghaus opening the scoring for the home side, Luke de Jong about half hour in, equalising and that's how it stayed. It means that PSV stayed 10 points clear of Feyenoord. While Ajax are just goal difference behind AZ Alkmaar in the race for European spots. Ajax currently fifth. But the other news about this game was that Gareth Southgate went. And why did he go to see Jordan Henderson, we imagine? Probably was. No? <laughs> yeah, I would think oh, so. Amsterdam is always worth a visit. Yeah. 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 And it's a huge game. Anyway, Jordan Henderson, Jordan Henderson was making his Jordan. debut. Jordan, Jordan <laughs> Henderson. Do you want to do this entire section in a faux Dutch accent? Yeah, Jordan. No, uh, Jordan Henderson was making his debut for Ajax uh, because he he didn't have his work permit before. I know. I imagine you, you know. It's a shame. Yeah, it is. Anyway, but he played ninety minutes. There must have been so many shirts with his name in the stands. I imagine. I guess at the Jordan Henderson Arena. Is it Jordan Henderson? <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like Norwegian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swedish. Yeah. But uh, Gareth, uh, Gareth Southgate going does underline the fact that for all his recent detours on his career path, Henderson's very much in his thinking for next summer's Euros. Now, recently Jules spoke out. 
on so Henderson the for, so unusual for him. Yeah. He's not here, but I think he. <laughs> I think he said quite enough last time. A lot of people were getting back in touch and saying, what do you say? Around Europe, is this is Jules's view that Henderson's a joke of a player shared at all? I, I think there is no conversation in Spain about Jordan no. Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> I think Alvaro has hit the nail on the head here. <laughs> <laughs> but should I give my perspective? Yes. Uh, honestly, I, I speak on behalf of my country now. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> think that country. Jordan Henderson is a... He's a very good footballer. He's been competitive. Mm. And I think that the fact that, and I want to see whether this is true or not, that uh, his shirt has been the, has hit the record sales in Amsterdam is very weird to me. Mm. It's very weird to me because normally big stars get that or players that actually... What have they been smoking in Amsterdam? Uh, yeah, that that's a very good question. <laughs> or, or players that at least uh, you get a hype about. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Dusan Tadic four years ago yeah. could have been that player because he's really skillful. Jordan Henderson is just a... Very good industrious midfielder. Okay. This normal did, in, in this game, he did pop a couple of classic kind of Henderson balls over the over the back yeah. line, you know, that uh, could have come to something. Over the bar. Yeah. I mean, oh. he, he has oh. scored a few good, good goals as well. I think like he's a, a good player of his generation. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. He's not All that right. mediatic. Well, yeah. what? did Gareth Sal... He doesn't have a media profile. Mediaticamente, you see it did Garasauke go and see any of his games for Al Etifak? That's like, was he one of the 500 people, yeah. 300 people in the stands? I'm just curious. It's a very like, good question, uh, to which I have no answer. Let's move on then. And hey, touch on City A again, because while well, the top three looks quite sorted. Yeah. Milan, very comfortable there. Bit of a gap on either side of them in third spot. But behind them, the race for fourth place looks quite dramatic. You've got six teams within five points of each other, or four within four if you skip Lazio and Fiorentina, who you probably could get away with doing. So that's Atalanta, who beat Lazio this weekend 3-1, a brace from uh, Charles de Quetelari. A Roma, who got their third win in three under Daniele De Rossi, as you mentioned, 4-0 against Calgary. Bologna who won the derby with Sassuolo, 4-2. A thunderbolt from Lewis Ferguson in that. Yeah. And Napoli, who, ooh, looked like Napoli again. They had Kavara back, and he looked like Kavara. And they're sort of in, in that mix as well. What did you make of all of that, James? Well, I think, you know, Napoli, are they back? I'm not so sure. I mean, Kavara scored a, a wonderful goal, the sort of goal that he, he scored regularly last season. Um, I think they're still glitchy. Uh, Napoli and and they just you know I say this with all due respect for, for for the fan base but I think they act as a small club you know I mean the the, the way De Laurentiis decides to just give press conferences um, not to undermine the coach but I just think just get on with it talk less play more Bologna fantastic from them you know after going to San Siro and coming away with a point and playing really well to, to come back in this game in the way they did against Sassuolo really showed that um, they've got great team spirit. Uh, they really believe in what their manager asks of them. Uh, Zirkze, again, just sort of playmaking as a number nine. You mentioned the Ferguson goal um, as well. So, yeah, they are not going away from the, from the Champions League race, which is still a surprise. They signed a player from... Uh, Racing in Argentina um, over the winter break, Castro, who's a striker who might replace Cirque, um if Cirque leaves in the summer. There's a lot of attention around him. And 
there's also a lot of hype around this kid Castro. And then Roma. <laughs> Roma. I think uh, Daniel De Rossi has become the first Roma coach uh, since Herbert Burgess oh. 95 years ago wow. um, to win his first three games um, wow. as a Roma coach. They have come uh, against soft opponents. And yeah, Cagliari on Monday night, Claudio Ranieri back in Rome, you know, one of Rome's favorite sons, lovely banner uh, for the fans in honor of him. And I think Roma, because they scored early from a set play, you know, they, they gained in confidence. But you just see this team feels liberated and they can play football despite what Jose Mourinho said. You know, they've moved to a back four, uh, some really nice sort of use of uh, sort of Dybala, off Lukaku, the strikers are closer to goal than they were when they were playing under Jose. Um, Cristante as well. Also, the player they signed on loan from Leipzig um, by way of Angelino. Yeah, first Roma fullback who can cross a ball in God knows how long. Um, so that was exciting. There's this backstory which uh, was, was going around Rome this week about how when Jose was sacked, the ring that the players had given him uh, after winning the Conference League final, he'd taken it off and he'd put it in the captain's locker, Lorenzo Pellegrini, um, allegedly saying, like, you know, when you guys become men, you can give it back to me. Really? But this this story has been denied by the captain Pellegrini. Okay. I think it's been denied by... But it certainly did the rounds in if Rome. If he was a man, this, he wouldn't this, deny it. <laughs> this ring. But, um, yeah, De Rossi has, has come in. And one of the features of Jose's Roma was... Um, and we saw this particularly in the Europa League final, how aggressive they were, how any kind of 50-50 challenge or any 50-50 call, they would protest, they'd get booked, the coaching staff would run off the bench and that sort of thing. With De Rossi, nothing. Just like, you know, they don't do any of this, any, kind of, any hijinks, they just focus on playing football. Mm. And it turns out they're actually quite good at it. When they're playing three teams out of the bottom four. Yes, yes, yes. Next weekend's going to be quite the test as they as they visit Inter at San Siro. Nerazzurri, yeah. Where, again, Jose, you know, oversaw a, uh, a win on one of the few occasions when he, he wasn't suspended. Actually, you know, <laughs> I tell a lie. It's, it's at the Stadio Olimpico. It's at the Olimpico. Yeah. Okay. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, yeah, De Rossi has thrust this team into the conversation for, for top four, which is really important for Roma's owners, you know, they've not been in the Champions League for like five years now, Roma, when they used to be very regularly in it um, under the previous owner, Palotta. But Atalanta playing really well as well. Four straight wins in all competitions. They have a game in hand as well, which comes against Inter, uh, which, you know, for all people are saying sort of Inter are very close now to winning the league, even though there's 16 games to go because they've got a four-point gap. They've got the edge of head-to-head -head on Juventus. But they have to win this um, this game in hand against Atalanta, which will not be easy. Um, because Atalanta, even though they've been without Ademola Lukman, who's still involved in the African Cup of Nations and doing very well, um, they haven't missed him, uh, partly because Charles de Ketelaer has played very well. It's going to be interesting to see what Atalanta do with de Ketelaer um, between, well, not between now and the end of the season, but let's say in the summer, because he's on loan from AC Milan, but Atalanta have an option. They could take the option, let's say, if he plays really well for Belgium at the Euros and then flip him for a profit quite easily because the Ketelet at the moment is playing extremely well. So, yeah, it's a very exciting uh, top four race in Italia. In Italia. Indeed so. 
quite exciting the top four race in Spain as well. Alvaro, let's uh, touch on that a bit more next. Okay, so race for top four in La Liga, you've got Barcelona third on 50 points, Atletico Madrid fourth on 48, and then Athletic on 45 points after their massive 4-0 win last Friday against Mallorca. Atletico, as we've heard, only getting the, the point from the uh, meeting with Real Madrid. Barcelona, meanwhile, got uh, their second straight win after Xavi announced the decision. Uh, they were 3-1 winners away at Alaves with Victor Rocchi scoring for the second game in a row and then getting sent off. This was another controversial bit of refereeing. Yeah, the two yellows were harsh, the second one especially. I think it was Victor Roque, ironically, was a victim of not being shown a red card. Because if you are shown a red card, ah, that yes. can be reviewed in the mm. VR, VR room. But uh, he was shown two yellows and therefore he couldn't finish the game. But, uh, you know, it, Oti Grigno is scoring goals as well. Um, he needed that because, for example, it looked a little bit weird when uh, he didn't play a single second, a single minute at San Mamés in the Spanish Cup mm. uh, because he is one of the winter signings. He, Barcelona needed the goal and Tigrino didn't make it uh, in that game, didn't play a single minute. But now, little by little, he's catching up. Obviously, there is an adaptation process. And, um, you know, he, he looks like a, at least a player who is up for the challenge and physically very strong and very fast. Did Barcelona look better, do you think? Uh, you could see glimpses of uh, things that can happen when good players um, associate on the pitch together. Like, mm. for example, Gundogan and Pedri in one of the, the goals that Barcelona scored with Pedri sending a beautiful uh, pass for Gundogan and Gundogan just volleying the ball into the net from an, uh, an acute angle. Uh, it was also good to see Lewandowski scoring because he's been going through a, a very big drought, a scoring drought. You know, it wasn't one of those performances that uh, will be um, a catalyzer for Barcelona, but it was clearly one that they needed because Athletic Club Bilbao is pushing very hard uh, for the fourth spot, and Barcelona mm. obviously needs to secure Champions League football the next, for the next year. Mm. Um, one uh, tactical switch that I think that was interesting for this game it was the fact that Christensen played as a holding midfielder. Okay. We know Christensen as a centre-back, we didn't know that version of this player. I think that the rationale behind that is that uh, Xavi wants to uh, armor plate the midfield a little bit more. Let's not forget that Gavi is no longer uh, playing this season because he, he picked a very nasty injury playing for Spain. And the next uh, last season Barcelona played with four midfielders and that was one of the secrets of Barcelona. This season, since Gavi's injury, uh, Barcelona has been playing with three midfielders and has been very exposed, especially because Busquets is no longer there. So with Christensen playing there, which I want to see whether he will play there against the likes of Napoli, uh, Gundogan, De Jong and Pedri, Barcelona at least has a proper wall in midfield just to defend a little bit better. Very Mourinho-esque move this from Xavi. You know, like, I mean, remember the classicos of the Madrid, Barca, Pep, Jose, Messi, Ronaldo era where... Hmm. Jose would put Pep on Messi. He put Pep in midfield. I know Christensen is not. Mythico is, Pepe. Is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. not uh, the same kind of defender as Pepe. But still, like to, to think of an ideologue, a purist like Xavi, playing a centre back in midfield is pretty stunning. But that's pretty interesting because I, I wanted to follow up on what you say about Pirlo being mm. sent to the number six position. Regista, because in Spain we have had the reverse phenomenon with a few players, and Xavi was one of them. 
in the 2003-2004 season, Barcelona was having a terrible season under Frank Rijkaard. And Barcelona did a move in the winter transfer that was, in a way, a turning point for what happened in the following years with Barcelona. Barcelona signed uh, temporarily Edgar Davids, a player who didn't resemble Barcelona's style at all. And Xavi, who had been playing as a number four for four years because they thought that he was the new Pep Guardiola, was sent to the number six position. In Spain, we call the number six position, what in England we will call the number eight, maybe. And uh, Xavi started playing a little bit more forward, 20 meters, mm, you know, closer to the opponent's box. And that changed Xavi's career, Barcelona's uh, next 10 years. And uh, I think that uh, Xavi learned that season that Barcelona, without the proper holding midfielder, was not going to be a very good team. I think that probably Xavi learned that time that... Uh, Christine has to play with the player who can actually, who can actually stop uh, the opponent as well. And Christensen can be that player, at least temporarily. Maybe we're talking about the next uh, Edgar Davids uh, or the new Edgar Davids yeah. but, uh, 15 years later. It's too early to say, mm -hmm. but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Christensen plays more football in this position from now on. Okay. Well, a great, uh, a great run of results for Barcelona. We talked about how disastrous it would be if they were to miss out on top four. Oh, yeah last weekend, but uh, this week's gone well for them. Athletic Bilbao, though, they're not going away in that top four race. I don't think so, um, because they are not playing in Europe. Of course, they are involved in cup games, and this midweek they're going to play against Atletico de Madrid. In oh. fact, there has been a little bit of a controversy, a small one, actually, between Athletic Club Bilbao and Atletico de Madrid. Number one, because Atletico feels that uh, the cup game should have been played on Thursday, because Athletic Club Bilbao will have two more days to rest than Atletico de Madrid. Athletic played on Friday, mm. Atletico played on Sunday late evening, and also because uh, Simeone called Athletic de Bilbao El Bilbao, and this is something that in Spain... You don't do. It's, it's very, no, it's very common. Ah. So, but people from Bilbao, as we hate when we got called El Bilbao, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> even the president of Athletic Club Bilbao, John Uriarte, uh, who never speaks to media, really, had to speak about this subject. Really? Say, but, but he said in a way that... Uh, he was fine with that. He was fine with that. But, you know, uh, some part of the fan base didn't like that Simeone called Athletic El Bilbao. I'm so glad Jules isn't here because Jules from now on would just be going, ah, Alvaro, El Bilbao. What about Bilbao? Is that bad as well? Uh, in Spain, they call us, in, uh, especially in the southern part of the country and from Madrid to the south, El Bilbao, roughly. But... Uh, when I moved in the UK, I was very surprised that here broadcasters called Athletic de Bilbao, Athletic. Bilbao. Okay. I think that in Bilbao we call it El Athletic, because for us El Athletic is us. Atletico de Madrid is a team that, uh, you know, was created by us, uh, from some students from Bilbao, mm. uh, living in Madrid in the, in the 19th century. Mm. At least they don't call you like AB or something like oh, that, unless we'd like, that, you know, that would be AC Milan. Yeah, the like game is Wednesday night at the uh, Civitas Metropolitano. Yes. Did you not give Atletico a bit of a schooling last time you played them? Uh, yes, it was at home. El Madrid. <laughs> it was at home again. Uh, yeah, El Madrid uh, suffered uh, against El Bilbao. Yes. Right, okay. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> Nico Williams and Iñaki Williams may not feature in oh, this game. And why? this is... Uh, Nico picked a muscular injury, same thing to, for Iñaki. Uh -huh. uh, I think that Iñaki will be ready to play, but Nico didn't train on Monday, 
So we have to wait and see. Oh, wow. It's what? the first leg of two semi-finals. The other semi-final being... Mallorca Real Sociedad. Alvaro, did you ever used to play Pro Evolution Soccer? <laughs> yes. Um, when they didn't have the uh, naming rights or licensing for the, the, the teams. Yeah, and London so, FC and so, all this. So, so yeah. Real Madrid would be Chamatin or something like that. What, <laughs> what was Athletic uh, Club de Bilbao? Do you remember? No, I don't remember. I don't remember that one. But it must have been El Bilbao. It's very, very likely that it was Basque El Bilbao. FC, Basque, well. Something like that. Yeah. Asking the key questions today, James. Yeah, well, that's what I'm here for. No Investigative journalism. <laughs> no, answers. <laughs> no answers forthcoming. No. <laughs> Alrighty. Very nice, Alvaro. Uh, let's start, uh, anything else? Yes, very quickly on oh, Luca, Lucas Ocampos. Of course. Yeah. Lucas Ocampos, he was going to take a throw at uh, Vallecas, Rayo Vallecanos ground, and one of the fans, a teenager, by the way, all the cameras spotted him, uh, put his finger or tried to poke his finger in uh, Lucas Ocampos' bum, you know, and he did it. And Lucas Ocampos didn't overreact because after the game he said that uh, he didn't want his daughters especially to see him overreacting on a football pitch. Mm. And, uh, but he said that he felt like uh, punching the guy. And, uh, and yeah, uh, that happened yesterday. And uh, of course, uh, it attacked the integrity of, uh, of another person. So it was, uh, you know, maybe something that at the time looked anecdotal, but at the same time, something that a fan cannot do. Basically, he was touching the parts of a footballer. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next up, we'll conclude today's Tony Football Show with Liga and the big Mbappe news. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Time now for much-missed Julian Laurence. Hello, Jules. Hello, Jimbo. Hello. Hey, Jules, first off, have you got a moment of the week for us? I mean, the moment of the week came on Sunday night. It was the Olympico, you know, the Olympic Lyonnais against Olympic de Marseille. Uh, it's a game, if you remember, this season that has been full of controversy. The reverse fixture, the, uh, the, the Lyon bus was attacked by some Marseille fans. By the way, nobody has been arrested uh, or charged in that story. Then after that, we, that game was eventually played. Marseille won 3-0. So this was a big game for Lyon to kind of get revenge, really. Although the, the manager is different, he's not Fabio Grosso anymore, it's Pierre Sage, who lost the 3-0 game, by the way, back in December. And I think this time Lyon played really well, like as it scored. Oui, 
we saw a very good debut for Gift Orban in the league, uh, the former game player that they signed in January. It was all very good from Lyon and very disappointing, I thought, from Gattuso and Marseille, who are eighth in the table. They still haven't won in 2024. And there's big crisis meetings going on in Marseille between the fans, within the club. Gattuso, Pablo Longoria, the president, who's under lots of pressure. So things are not really good for Marseille at the time. Absolutely. Lyon, meantime, I read, were actually Europe's top spenders in January in their efforts to beat the drop zone in Liga. Yeah, I think 56 million euros, all in all, they spend. Uh, some very young, exciting players like Malik Fofana, who came from Ghent, Gift Orban came from Ghent, Nemanja Matic, who we know well from the Premier League, uh, who came from Rennes, where he was not happy. We told that story before. So a bit of experience, some youth, John Texter. To be fair to John Texter, we've been quite critical and we called him a clown when he deserved it. But to be fair, how do you say, Nina, you put, you put your money where your mouth is? Because he said that he would strengthen the squad. And to be fair to him, like you said, he spent the most money in Europe to do that. For now, Leon, three points clear of the bottom three. Up at the other end, PSG have extended their lead at the top again to eight points because while the two teams below them, Nice and Brest, had a goalless draw, Paris Saint-Germain were two one-winners against Patrick Vieira's Strasbourg. A game reaction to which has been pretty much dominated, Jules, by word that Kylian Mbappé has decided to join Real Madrid come the summer. Is it official yet? And does he mean it this time? <laughs> no, it's not official, James. But he has decided to leave PSG and to join Real Madrid. He still needs a full agreement, of course, with Real Madrid. But again, I don't think that that deal could fall through. There, there's a, there will be some key, key points, like the image right, of course, where Mbappé, I think, uh, wants a lot of his own image right, where usually, historically, Real Madrid don't give that away much to players. The other one is the Olympic Games in Paris that Mbappé would really love to take part of. And obviously that comes at a moment, it's not a FIFA date to start with, it's at the end of July, start of August. So when usually you're preparing for the season, maybe on tour, having some lucrative friendlies. So there's a lot of things to still be discussed between Mbappé and Real Madrid. But really, he's made his mind up now. It's a shame for PSG, he will live as a free agent, but... As we've said before, he's waving off a lot of bonuses, around 80 million euros. So he, would, he won't feel to PSG like he's living on a free. But yeah, it's the end of, uh, of his PSG chapter. If he is genuinely going this time, Jules, any word on who they'll be targeting to replace him? I mean, I think the good thing about this whole story, Jimbo, this time, compared to two years ago and the, the previous saga, is that, I mean, PSG, and it's a no-brainer, but had a, had a plan with Mbappé and a plan without Mbappé. And now they will activate the plan with that, Mbappé. And in that plan, you hear a lot about Rafael Leao, who I think Luis Campos especially, who brought him from Sporting to Lille before he went to Milan, is a huge fan. You hear a lot about Victor Ozyman, although PSG already have two number nines in Gonzalo Ramos and, and Randal Colomwani. But you know that they will, have, they will have to go for a marquee signing for sure, like the biggest name they can get, whether it's trying Leao, trying Haaland, trying, you know, Vinicius, you know, I don't know, whoever, but you know that for Haaland and Vinicius it's not possible. However, there's probably a, an opening already for like Rafael Leo or Victor Ozyman. Jules, PSG's win this last Friday night against Strasbourg, 2-1, saw a lot of unhappiness from these Strasbourg supporters about their own management, about Todd Burley and the way that Bluco are running the club, um, sparked particularly by the 
decision right at the end of the transfer window to sell their goalkeeper, Matt Sells. Yeah, a lot of really unhappy Strasbourg fans, especially the ultras. Um, it's not the first time, but maybe I guess because this time the game was Friday night, it was on prime television in France, in the UK, a bit everywhere. I think they knew that it was the right, the right time to have a, maybe an even bigger protest than, than usually, because every home game, to be fair, they're protesting against Bluco and Todd Boehly. Um, they feel, and I think we said that when the Bosch Strasbourg was announced, Strasbourg fans feel they're too big of a club to be part of this kind of multi-club ownership. They are too big to be a feeder club, like you're saying, for a club like Chelsea. They don't like the fact that even if Chelsea and Blue Cup provided money for them, so they, they, they spend actually quite decent money in the summer, that it was just to uh, clearly you know, bring players into Strasbourg to make them ready for them at some point going to Chelsea. And they don't want to do that. We saw that with Troyes and what's happening with Savio, for example, from Girona and Manchester City, which Strasbourg fans don't want to happen to their club. So I can understand the position. And, but they also know that nothing is going to change, unfortunately for them. But yeah, the, the protest was quite um, vocal, let's put it that way, uh, with a lot of banners as well against Todd Bailey and, and Bluco and Chelsea and all of that. And they played well. They didn't deserve to lose to one PSG. They were not very good at all. Uh, but in the end, I think he showed the, 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 the lack of maybe efficiency that Strasbourg have currently under Patrick Vieira. Okay, the man who uh, replaced goalkeeper Matt Sells uh, had a busy time of it, saving Mbappe's penalty early on, but then uh, giving the ball away in pretty disastrous fashion for Mbappe's opener about half hour in. Yeah, you felt for him a little bit because uh, although he's not that so young anymore, he's 22, he's been clearly waiting for that opportunity. Matt Sells was a very good keeper for Strasbourg. I think he's going to be very good for, for Forrest as well if he, if he plays there. And... Your first game is against PSG again, primetime television, Friday night, Alameno Stadium, rocking, great atmosphere. And you save the pen and then you make that mistake, really, that you know, he needs to learn from it. He's still a, he's a very young goalkeeper in sense of experience. But, but yeah, it was a bit of a, of a shocking. He did, he did okay and, and certainly saved the pen. But after that, it was far more difficult. Just one more thing, Jimbo, quickly. Yeah. Um, we saw Monaco being at home and, and only drawing 1-1 against Le Havre. But the story, the big story in that game was not so much the result, although that put more pressure on Adi Hutter, is the fact that Takumi Minamino, the uh, Japanese international forwards, played his second game in just 24 hours because he played on, on Friday with Japan in the Asian Cup when they lost their game against Iran. He came on for the last 20 minutes, then flew over 5,000 kilometers, seven hours from Qatar back to Monaco. He wanted to be in the Monaco squad for the game against Le Havre. Ended up coming on for the last 20 minutes. So it was Saturday and Sunday. Coming on for 20 minutes on Sunday because Monaco needed a goal after being 1-1. So I, be- I believe he's the first player ever to play two games in 24 hours over two continents. Over two continents? Yeah, yeah, r- yeah. Remarkable in Qatar stuff. and in Europe. So Asia and Europe. Involved in more projects simultaneously than even you, Jules. Incredible. (laughs) Exactly. My boy, Minamino. Excellent. Julian Laurent's there. And, uh, well, we'll hear from him again next Monday as we head into the last 16 of the Champions League and the last 75 or whatever it is of the Europa League and Conference League. Got a big playoff. Last 75. Next, <laughs> uh, next Thursday. Oof.
All right. Lots to talk about next time around. Of course, there'll be all those big, big games. In Germany. I'll be there. Yeah. Hmm? I'm going. Are you going along? Yeah. All right, Ralph. I'd never pass up the opportunity to go to Leverkusen for a day trip. Yes? Yeah. Is there a particular reason for that? It's a wonderful place, James. Okay. That should be on your bucket list. Okay. Big farmer town. Big farmer town, yeah. (laughs) Very nice. Good. I'll be watching Leverkusen's attempt to turn the Bundesliga into a farmer league, James. Right. Well, will they succeed or will they have a bitter pill to swallow, etc. And so on, will they get by on a headache, all that. Yep. Good. All right. Uh, thanks, Raf. Cheers, James Horncastle. Thank you so much, Alvaro. Thank you to Liam and Charlie in the booth. And you, listener, we're back on Thursday with a regular Totally Football show. So do join us for that. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.